This is the 60th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Berhards, with me are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, hi, how do you do? Hello friends, I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. This week we will of course talk a bit about paper legacy, but we will embrace that we have reached the nice round number of 60 episodes by doing things a little different. This week we'll focus on some listener questions, legacy related and not so legacy related. Before that though, we can of course need to go over some play from last week. Robin, you are the one of us three who actually did some paper play at LGS. Did you get any wins in? Yeah, I brought the trusted Tarfire Delver to the local game store again. I was like uh, hurrying from the office <laughs> to the local game store and I thought that I'm probably a bit tired and will play something that not a new deck or something that is uh, too taxing on the brain. So I, I brought a, a Delver, which I'm rather familiar with. And in the first game, I am matched up against the final end boss at our local game store, Mr. Deltar. Two, or as we call him, the Hope, and he is on his own invention, the Mono Black Depths. And I have uh, typical Delver hands: Force of Will for something important, Wasteland on his Depths, and like a Bolt on his Vampire Hex Mage. And that is basically what happens in both games. And I also am very happy about. Sporting two brazen borrowers in the 75 and one submerge, which is a little bit awkward in this matchup, but of course you can go up to five mana and cast it. Then I face off against a blue and white rip helm with a spicy combo playing also field. Man, that seems that seems pretty rough for the Delver deck, you know, if you're uh... Some people board in Leyline, and this player is just playing Rest in Peace in the main deck. It sounds pretty rough. Right. And he totally beat up on my son <laughs> the, other, the, other, the other week. So I was like, I'm going to take revenge here. Did I take revenge? No. No. Oh, hell no, you didn't. He won 2-0. Two, two, oh. <laughs> Clean sweep. <laughs> that was rough. So now he's your arch enemy. Yeah. Actually, he is. You can have rituals like, my son, this is the sword that was handed down, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. This is this is my old teacup. I must say that uh, I also played really bad. I was like, you know, I had like this opportunity to swing because I could like bounce his energy field. And then I bounced it instead of just attacking his planeswalker and bouncing the rest in peace so that the energy field would be destroyed by like the planeswalker entering uh, going to the graveyard so like mistakes were made i hopefully will do better next time the horror the horror the, your son must have been uh, aghast seeing disappointed you. <laughs> to say the least father no then i was up against the uh, yorian food chain and uh, succeeded to win 2-0 i think he mulliganed quite a bit and uh, i had like wasteland for his savannah and uh, yeah, it, it's it's a hard matchup for uh, 80 card deck i think against the efficiency of, of blue and red delver tarfire efficiency of tarfire who can stop that card and then uh, as the final for the day i 
faced up against Naughty Painter, a deck that I played quite a lot against. And each time we play, it gets a little bit more even. So I think he's getting more reps in against uh, Delver. I We trade games, I win the first, he win the second. And then there's a nail bite there, which I finally managed to close. But really good uh, and interesting games. And I ended up with a 3-1. So that's pretty nice, and I'm on a little bit of a winning streak, I think. Yeah, you're on a roll. I have not dropped a lot of games in the last, like, five rounds or something like that. So hopefully this can go all the way to the Legacy 1K at uh, Norrköping and, uh, like, the the finals of the league that we are expecting somewhere in, in September. So hoping for that. Yeah, that sounds sick. Very nice, very nice. But even nicer, I have to say, even though Paper Legacy is very nice, is cake. So let us cut the cake. 60 episodes with you guys. I am so happy. I am so proud. But most of my happiness comes, of course, from the interaction with listeners. Why else have a podcast, eh? Right. And therefore, this episode will be devoted to your questions, dear listeners. We will get to them one by one and answer them that we have got as truthfully as we can. Most of them gathered from our Discord. Also, we did get a basic land connoisseur panel question and we will get to that one in the next episode because this one needs sufficient time to be covered in all of its aspects. It might be one of the hardest basic lands uh, that we've tried to decide on yet. So you guys who are waiting for this, you're just going to have to shine it on for a little while. And without further ado, I'm going to throw us into this 15 questions that we got that are going to be about us and our opinions. First one, perhaps the most obvious question to ask any podcast hosts, which is the best deck in Legacy at the moment, excluding Blue Red Delver. Mr. Tarfire, how about you go first? Okay, if I cannot play Tarfire, hmm, what is it? I think that secretly the best deck is Doomsday. It's it's just that not a lot of people play it and like people who are not super familiar familiar with it are going to not win so many games because it's a little bit tricksy of a deck. But I think that deck is super strong. And for me an honorable mention also to the Green White Depths deck that I think is well positioned. But for me it's I think it's Doomsday in the number one spot after Blue Red Elver. What about you guys? I think I think that's a that's a good solid pick. I think that even if you exclude Blue Red Delver, it's still a part of the meta. So the decks that I'm thinking of are decks that are quite good at beating up Delver to some extent, and uh, that makes Naya Adepts really high on my list as uh, the best deck. But for me, my honorable mentions actually goes out to things like Elves which I think is just super strong now also. But also, due to some results that we've seen recently, I'm actually going to give say that the Sleeper is Painter right now. It's just been tearing it up. And I think Painter with the Fable uh, of the Mirror Breaker is uh, super real. Yeah, my honorable mentions are for sure Elves and Painter, but I think Naya Depths is the perhaps second strongest depths because uh, deck because it has a lot of really strong matchups. It's just a scary deck. Yeah, I'm going to go with Robin here as well. I'm going to say Doomsday because it just packs so much raw power. Super duper duper strong. Very underplayed. But as sleepers, I'm uh, also I'm leaning on you, Christopher. I think elves 
uh, are doing really well right now. We should be at least. And also, but that's perhaps more of a short-term meta call, but uh, Red Stompy in any of its variants seems really good right now. But judging only or sort of only, but judging mostly, I'd say, on raw power and potential, I think Doomsday is the best deck in Legacy at the moment, excluding Blue Red Delver, which I probably actually think is the best deck. I agree. Right, so follow-up question to that. Which is the best deck in the Stockholm metagame that we have uh, sort of in one of our first episodes categorized as welcome to mid-range hell? <laughs> it, 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 it is not uncommon to sort of, oh, Yorion Aluren, of course. <laughs> this is this is how we do it. Ooh, Esper something. <laughs> Big Esper vial and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's mid-range hell. I think it still is. So uh, which is the best deck we play? Well, I would say in uh, in our meta, like we mentioned, it really is a mid-range slugfest. So I'm going to say that things like Storm or Doomsday are the strongest decks to come to the Stockholm meta with. Because it's it's sort of this inbred mid-range metagame where people also want to beat up on Delver if they have the opportunity. They put a lot of sideboard cards into beating that. And I, I just think that it gives too much leeway for things like Doomsday and Storm, probably even more uh, TES than uh, Ant. But yeah, I, like when I was picking up the newer variants of uh, of Doomsday, I didn't have that many reps, and I just went, and it felt like it was quite unstoppable from time to time. Like a lot of people are trying, you know, to yeah, maybe if I can get to turn four or five, but you can still just counter their things and then kill them with two cards. And I think that's just very mean in our meta. So those are my picks. Uh, yeah, I wonder what would happen if someone arrived at a Stockholm meta with a deck like Oops, all spells. I think it would just be against a disproportionately large part of the field it'd be like an auto win in in some regards but if you wanted to bring a slightly stronger deck i think doomsday would really give you value for your metagaming yeah i agree the, probably some of the combo decks are the strongest all right question number three do you have a favorite magic to gathering content creator well uh, i do my favorite Magic the Gathering content creator is Anurag Das. He has such a high spirit. Like whenever <laughs> whenever I watch his stream, he's so full of energy, positive energy, and is like such a nice guy to follow. The worst thing when it comes to like streamers is like streamers who are grumpy and like displeased with the pairings or like uh, such a luck sack and all of that like I-, I can't stand streamers who are like in that mood so I, I need a streamer that are having a good time and uh, like uh, hanging out with the-, the people in the chat and just that in combination with this high like skill level of the play, especially when he play like his the decks that is his trademark decks, like uh, some sort of control deck. That is my favorite when it comes to streamers. What about you, Victor? Yeah, Anurag, I would like to shout out to as well because his extreme devotion and effort he puts into casting Paper Legacy uh, tournaments, like he brings his own streaming kit. That's a lot of hardware. <laughs> 
a lot of work to set up. I imagine also a lot of cost. That that's uh, that's devotion, and I and I really want to salute him. I mean, if anything else, for that, it, it it really really people don't understand. I think how much effort that requires, and I'm very grateful for that. And like how much that actually means for the paper legacy community when it does that. It's massive. Yes, indeed. And aside from that, if I want to sort of add to just not talk about only on Ragdoss, all three of the co-hosts of Everyday Eternal individually, I really like their approach to content creation, the seriousness and relaxedness at the same time, while also being very skilled legacy players. Yeah, for for me and um, yeah, I also need to shout out Anurag. Like uh, what he's contributing to the legacy scene is like it's massive. It's it's bigger than any any other legacy content creator I can think of. So that's just like a massive shout out. But when it comes to you know listening to podcasts and stuff like that, I really enjoyed the Resleevables podcast with uh, Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips. But uh, also just leaving a legacy, not not due to the actual legacy content, but they always make me laugh like so bad. And in spots where I'm not supposed to laugh, like when you're on the subway and you look like a crazy person, like it. It's, uh, it's one of those uh, things. But when it comes to play, I really enjoy Bryant Cook. Even if he's, you know, streaming or uploading videos of a format that I don't really care too much about, he has such a wired combo brain that seeing him play combo, like just breaking Pioneer and Modern with insane combos is just so extremely nice. I, I really enjoy that. But whenever he's playing the Epic Storm, it's always a treat. He just crushes with it. But honorable shout outs to I'm actually love, uh, level one, which is a vintage streamer and uh, Aspiring Spike, who makes modern videos. I think both of them brew a lot and try and shake up their formats. I should also add that I enjoy Bosch and Roll content a lot. And like he's one of those content creators that delivers daily content, which is really nice when you are don't have uh, anything to watch to to have someone with that consistency and he's he's when he's on a deck that he's good on he's also also very high up there when it comes to skill level so that's that's nice to see and Bosch and Roll, I would also say, does really nice, specifically YouTube content, where he manages to do full five-round leagues in a much shorter space than many others because his editing is just very inspiring. But again, like we could go on and talk about favorite Magic the Gathering content creators for another hour. Many have been sort of not mentioned here, but that does not at all mean that we are not fans of them. I mean, I listen to perhaps... 10 Magic Gathering podcasts <laughs> of eternal formats. So there you go. Next question though. Do you have a favorite pro player, Christopher? I kind of do. It's a shared first place between uh, Reed Duke and Javier Dominguez. And uh, both of these players are just phenomenal at Magic at large. Give them any format and they will just crush it. But both of these people are also just disgusting legacy players, which always makes makes me happy. Javier Dominguez, I think, usually rocks uh, control decks and is just crushing with it. And Reed, I mean, I remember watching him play Pox, Elves, you know, the GP with the Grixis control. He's just like such a surgical 
player. I'm always thinking about uh, that scene in Kill Bill when she's asking if the other player, no, if the other person is good with a shotgun. And she's like, at this range, I'm a fucking surgeon with this shotgun. And that's pretty much reduke with any deck, it feels like. So whenever he plays Legacy, I get happy. Yeah, I second that. And I also think that, like, that tournament when they just followed him and uh, talked about the games uh, afterwards, that was like the some of the best legacy content ever created. That was so cool. Yeah, Reduke is there for me as well. But also I would like to count Andreven Gucci. I think he is a pro player that sort of has a nice balance of content creation and skill, specifically, of course, for his videos. But uh, I mean, I really enjoyed him watching him win like a regular standard pro tour a couple of years ago must have been now played in an arena but in a room i can't remember even which year this was but like he was because he was so happy <laughs> he was so humble while recognizing that he was also had done an achievement and uh, i like that in pros people who can recognize both that they come from somewhere but also own who they are i like that quality in a pro yeah, and also like uh, if uh, just to give a extra Mengu shout out, I just think it's super cool that he was doing all of this, you know, uh, Mythic Championship. He became like uh, the winner, I think, of a massive prize pot while also finishing his law degree and uploading to Twitter Mengu Cuisine, which I follow him for i follow him only for pictures of his decks and stuff like that and Mengu Cuisine. So big shout out. Question number five, famously answered 59 episodes ago now. Why did you guys start this podcast? A question with many answers. Perhaps I should go first here because this was initially my brainchild that I wanted to have a... I was at the time lacking a paper legacy podcast. There are many good legacy or eternal podcasts, but none of them at the time had but we have a sole focus as much as we can on the paper side of of legacy which is in my view the way the game is played that sort of keeps the legacy of legacy going sure we can grind out endless leagues and challenges on mtgo and that's fun and has a great value but there is something else the tactile feeling of just dropping that jewel on the table tapping it for mana and and casting a really old spell with your hands and i wanted to delve into that and see can you discuss that specifically is there a way to to talk about that what i arrived at and what i wanted to to do and reach out to you guys to help uh, to help us t- sort of create together something not about sort of the paper played at the highest level but rather the paper that we play because i also think that a, there are a lot of good uh, sort of legacy and eternal podcasts about sort of last week's challenge or what happened at this grand prix that has a good value that's important to talk about but very few discuss what they actually play and i realized that those are the podcasts that i myself liked most to listen to sort of i went down to my local game store i went two and two with this deck this is what happened like it really spoke to me and at the time when we 
discussed starting this podcast none of those podcasts were around anymore so uh, that's why for me so i guess for you guys to to answer why did you why did you agree on this mad project i mean for me it's just like the the love for legacy and uh, like the inability to play it as often as you might want being a parent and being it paper legacy that we're talking about i spend a lot of time with my cards shuffling sorting building the decks rebuilding the decks and like i want (laughs) to spend time with with my legacy cards and with my legacy buddies as much as possible and uh, like this this is one way to do it just talk legacy and talk paper magic yeah that's a great answer for me it was quite easy you know i i think both of you two are great guys and i think we all have we we all have such different magic the gathering and legacy philosophies play patterns preferences so i just thought that you know there would be such a contrast between all of us and the uh, opportunity for interesting discussions disagreements but also just brewing and hyping and going to tournaments and give reports sounded really cool so that that's why i wanted to do it side question then is there any other reason that has uh, encouraged you guys to keep on doing it for 60 episodes no no i'm just kidding <laughs> it's the same reason really like i'm really enjoying this i think our community is great you two are still great Uh, even when robin beats me on kitten bruce uh, at our lgs it's still great so yeah nothing's (laughs) changed really yeah i mean i i'm I'm also a fan of like consistency (laughs) like so it like i don't really want to do something and do it like half the way (laughs) i quite agree one thing that has sort of uh, that i've been inspired to that i wasn't thinking before uh, and i've forgotten where the idea came from but uh, the basic land connoisseur panel thing the the staple art connoisseur panel that we're going into now i love these art discussions and those are so paper i'm gonna give myself some credit there the basic land connoisseur panel was my brainchild i i yeah. I, I actually collect too many basic lands i have too many of them so and i i think a lot about what basics i put in my deck so i was just like we need to talk about this i love it and you two were really hyped from the get-go on this segment so that just made me super happy all right cool next question what do you guys do for a living tomorrow i'm starting my first day as a master student in computer science you know, at at KTH, the Royal Institute of Technology here in Stockholm. I recently got my bachelor's degree, but right now I'm going to go into some deeper computer stuff. I recently worked with insurances, but that's as fun as it sounds like. So we don't need to drag the discussion into that. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I'm working as department manager on a consultancy company here in Stockholm that are like very early in like the planning pro- process uh, doing analysis and uh, writing reports on like how changes in the infrastructure or like in the planning is 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 uh, like affecting people and uh, like the economy and having social implications for the community so that's my profession and i work as a policy analyst at the largest trade union in sweden what i look at is how artificial intelligence systems and similar technological innovations affect both labor and the world of work as such but also how it structurally influences 
labor market structures, both now and sort of in the coming years. So everything from are the robots really taking our jobs to how will artificial intelligence systems help X and Y profession do things better in 2040 when Christopher has invented some things for us. Skynet. He's invented Skynet. Speaking of that, today is the day of Skynet. It's the 29th of August and uh, according to the lore in 1997 uh, 29th of August Skynet awoke. So it's actually Skynet day today everybody. I've always, since I started this job, had the Skynet logo as my uh, desktop background. I always get sort of one person in the audience smiling when I lecture. <laughs> <laughs> and I know immediately, this is my friend. This is, this They're is taking great. our gerbs. <laughs> Took our gerbs. Biggest, dis- biggest disappointment, though, in that sort of in, in sort of futuristic genres that we have now sort of outlived is when, when Blade Runner sort of was surpassed by the actual timeline and we had no flying cars nor did we live in pyramids what about that hover skateboard in back to the future where are those isn't there one though yeah but like i want i want those like there have to be like neon pink they 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 should hurt Mm. looking at maybe maybe they do exist but not in that not that efficiently as those in the movies but but if you think of it though, like do you really want a hover skate? Like it, it kind of defeats the purpose of skating because that's sort of you show your skills on wheels. Whereas a flying car, I actually do want a flying car. Could you imagine like uh, like collisions and damage if you crash in the air? Like it, it'd be terrible. Okay, next question. <laughs> what draws you to the decks you choose to play? I love this question. Robin, why do you play Tarfire? <laughs> That's a hard question. Like, the decks that I really like are decks that are in your face on your opponent. I like decks that are efficient, that are aggressive. I don't necessarily necessarily need to draw a lot of cards, but I want, like, the cards to matter. That's what, like, draw me into playing Delver decks from the beginning. And now I I don't get nearly as satisfied playing Delver decks <laughs> at this age because Delver is, it's like, as an archetype, it's, it's much more than tempo. It's grind and, and uh, all that. But that's the kind of decks that I like. And uh, I think that's what is appealing to me when it comes to 8-cast as well. It's like you, you spill your hand onto the table and, like, ask the question... Can you deal with this? So that's the kind of decks that I, I'm mostly drawn to. To counter that, I like ineffective and passive decks that draws a lot of cards <laughs> and don't really <laughs> present any action. Preferably with a combo finish. So like Kitten and Alluren decks and stuff like that. No, I, I actually... I do like efficiency and synergy more than most things. So if I'm playing a fair deck, I want some really strong synergy in there. But for a lot of times, the synergy that I play in comes in things like Alluren or Painter, where there's like a specific theme that's just super streamlined and works quite well against a lot of things. You don't have like matchups that are unwinnable you just you have a lot of bad matchups but at the same time no no game is unwinnable so that's my kind of kind of jam synergy decks me i like to play decks that win with things that has a mana value of eight or above (laughs) i i want to 
put into play or even preferably cost really big things. And I want them to do big things for me. I want to crush my opponents when I win. And if you play decks where the win cons are mana value 8 or above, when you win, you crush. So, you know, Grizzled Brand, Eldrassis, Big Ugin, these are cards that are my jam. And I heavily gravitate towards those decks in any Magic format I've played. So follow up on that, I think. Interesting. I'm going to ask this one first. Uh, are you brewers or stocklist people? And I am definitely a stocklist guy. I will look at what other people have played in the category of big mana value things that I gravitate towards and see how can I iterate upon that. And it's also, this is the strategy that has brought me the by far most success. And I think the one deck that I play that perhaps deviates a bit from this is the way I play my Nickfit deck with lots of rectors and stuff. But that's, I think, basically because it's a deck that really lacks a set, you know, 75 Nickfit the Nickfit community has perhaps I don't know a set 30 <laughs> I should say eight cards <laughs> <laughs> I I'm counting lands and basics here so it it adds up to sort of almost half a main deck but apart from that it just it goes in every direction so playing Nickfit you're kind of forced to perhaps not brew but at least you know, iterate and, and keep on working on your deck because the deck is always going to be bad. So you have to <laughs> really see how can you make it the least bad in, in the current meta where you exist. Whereas, you know, 12 post or, or um, reanimator or, or decks like that, there is much more of a not 75, but way closer to that that I usually start on and then I adapt in the last, say, 10%. Uh, for me, I'm something in between, I think, because I play a lot of of the decks that have a pretty stock at least 65 of out of 75 cards and as an archetype is is very established i don't play a lot of like weird brewy decks in that sense but i never take a list of the internet <laughs> i always have my own list with a few spicy cards sometimes they are more spicy <clears throat> tarfire and sometimes they are <laughs> less spicy. And I, I usually try to have some of my favorite cards. Maybe we get to that later in the sideboard or something like that. I want the deck to, to feel uh, as much Robin as possible. And I think I lose a few percentage points of not just taking a list and like maybe playing it 100 times before I switch out cards. But that's how I like to play. Three shields in the board. That's how we roll. I'm a bit of a brewer. I love brewing. We had a whole segment on the pod where I just made stupid lists and brewed with them. But I also like to play strong established decks. So I'm also somewhat in between. But I I would say that I dip my toes a bit deeper into just trying to create new archetypes and uh, do stuff like that too. Sometimes good, sometimes bad success. (laughs) But yeah, I love brewing. I think uh, whenever a new big set comes out that has a lot of playables i don't look at how i can include a card in an established archetype to make the archetype better a lot of times i'm trying to go one step beyond and see is this card something that synergizes with something that's good against the meta that might be underutilized so yeah that's 
that's kind of like where I'm at. Yeah, I, I, for me, I really like like the time spans after a game-changing ban or something like that that really puts an, an archetype into spin and like all, all players are trying to figure out what to do about it. Or the time when a, a really strong card has been printed that doesn't slot into one of your favorite decks, then your mission is to sort of fight that deck. And like so some of the, my fondest like build, deck-building memories was... Uh, during the Eldrazi winter and during the Breach spring, I should say it was, where those decks were just tearing up at our local game store and you just needed to tweak your deck to to be able to stand a chance. I love that kind of environment. So coming from that, do you have any favorite legacy pet cards? We mentioned Tarfire, so let's move beyond that. Uh, But Robin, (laughs) any other... Well, Legacy Tarfire is not, uh, not a favorite card, but uh, Winter Orb is. So can I slot a Winter Orb into the sideboard? If the answer is yes, then I'm all for it. I'm a fan of that tempo kind of cards. Like Days has become sort of uh, a card that a lot of people hate these days. Maybe because it makes Delver very strong in the in the current iteration. But for me, Days is such a beautiful card. And I also like Stifle. Those are some of my favorite cards to play. Yeah, when it comes to pet cards, I think Goblin Welder is my my pick. I just love Goblin Welder. I've been brewing a lot of not only Painter, but also just Mind Slaver decks and stuff like that. So I would say that my pet cards are definitely Dak Faden and Goblin Welder. And my favorite legacy pet card is Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Boom. Just because if Ugin resolves in legacy, it's so powerful. It's crazy. It's really difficult to get it to resolve and sort of not lose the next turn. But if it resolves and sort of gets... If you, if you get untapped with Ugin, I should say, that's when you know you're doing something nice. Number 10 on the question list. How do you guys judge the quality of cards during spoiler seasons, given that spoiler seasons now seem to happen a lot? And in when they happen, they happen intensely. So how do you judge the quality of cards during these times? I can go first. I really don't. I just sort of wait for others to do that. <laughs> I think this might go into sort of my slightly leaning towards stock list mentality it's like i don't really have the time as a parent full-time you know working i have things i need to do i just can't fit into my schedule to get my head around the spoilers when they are spoiled i look sort of two weeks after the set is out what is happening and a good recent example of this is arcan of cruelty when it was spoiled, I was like, hmm, yeah, uh, this could be interesting, perhaps. And then someone puts up a stream where they actually played Arkham of Cruelty. And you're like, whoa, oh, this is interesting. Two months later, I'm like, I'm playing a playset in my 75 in, in Reanimator. So when I, I wouldn't say I'm the earliest adapter, but I happily adapt new cards into the, the shells where I where I sort of would put them. I'm not nostalgic 
to sort of cutting old cards, nor do I feel sort of that bad about the strong stream of strong cards that we're currently and have been getting for you know years now. To me, that's not really a huge problem. I have other issues with sort of card availability, etc., etc. We're not going to talk reserved lists and stuff here, but I sort of I tend to find myself embracing these cards when they are established. But during spoiler season, I allow others to to be expert. Yeah, and I can I can totally second that. I don't have the time nor patience to look through the entire spoiler for like the hidden gems. So that's just not how I spend my time. So. I follow a few people on Twitter and other social media and, and they will provide me with with like the most interesting cards to look out for. And then I will uh, obviously evaluate them and uh, maybe start brewing and all of that. But I don't go through the spoiler at all. Yeah, for me, it, it really depends on how you define the quality of cards. Because quality for me can be, this is a card I'm going to have fun with, which is high quality for me. But if you're talking about quality, this is going to be really sick in Legacy. I think there are a lot of hit and misses. So I'm sometimes I'm a really good judge at it. And sometimes I just completely miss things. Like here are three recent cards that I missed. I missed Ledger Shredder. I missed Maddening Hex, which I think actually is, is quite strong. I'm not going to throw too much shade on that. And I missed Minsk and Boo, which is also quite a banger. But I remember like in, in other areas, uh, I think that I'm, I'm quite fast at thinking if, it, if something is actually legacy playable. I remember, you know, when DRC and Ragavan uh, were spoiled and people were talking a lot about that, my eyes were almost fully locked on Merktide region. Yeah, I remember that. And I even ended up in a heated discourse discussion where, <laughs> where, where a person was like, yeah, yeah, you're super wrong. This is not going to fit into Delver. Maybe you'll play one or two in, in control decks. And I'm like, but it's sick. And here we are. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong. But I love looking at spoilers and mostly for me and not for like, can this fit into Nick Fit or Death and Taxes? It's more like, can I play with this card in a fun way? All right, next question, perhaps our most important yet. How do I know if a girl or a boy likes me? Easy. Do you play combo? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm just going to leave it at that. If you know, you know. (laughs) All right. That's all I can say. Well, as a recent comic strip put it, guys come and go, but legacy is eternal. Boom. That was a good one. No, but I will say, how do you know if a boy or a girl likes you? It's difficult. Like this is this is one of the hardest things ever. I think what you need to do is that you need to have the confidence and self-love enough to want someone to like you. And being able to handle the rejection of that not happening. Because otherwise you, I think, will not have the the courage needed to find out if they like you by asking them. And you, 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 you sort of, you should probably not ask them, do you like me outright? Because that puts them in a weird position where they sort of, if they don't really know, they have to lie. And no one wants to lie, so they're just going to dodge the question. You're going to sort of, that's not sort of how you should do it. You should ask them out, perhaps on a date. You should ask what they like, see if you like the same things, see if you vibe. And then eventually you'll find out. For some people, this will happen 
you know, in the matter of days. For some people, this is a process of five years. But you have to, in order to get there, to sort of arrive at the conclusion, you have to be able to to meet rejection because that is is the most common <laughs> occurrence that, that you will get. In the same way that nearly sort of the majority of relationships will end. And, and, and that's sort of a reality that you have to sort of face up to when if you want to have a relationship, you're going to have to sort of grapple with the fact that statistically relationships are not forever. Well, statistically, there's a zero percent chance that something lasts forever, especially a biologic relationship between two mortal beings. I think death is imminent. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. This, this, this is you. This is you deflecting, Christopher. This is you completely deflecting. No, if, if you don't have if you don't have the courage to do what Victor said, there are two other options. You could train an, an AI with the exact personality traits of the person you like and then ask it or you could in you can invent a microscope into their brain and just look now i completely agree with what victor said though i'm gonna stop trolling yeah i mean i'm i'm in camp uh, conversation and communication just talk a lot <laughs> about anything i i agree with victor you might not want to ask the question outright at first opportunity but like the more you talk the better you will know each other it's just like i said if you're a combo player you know if you know you know and it's kind of like the same if you're vibing with someone deep down inside you know if something's going on if something feels right and i again want to emphasize like something that i mean by saying they saying the sort of rejection is common and most relationships end that doesn't mean that most relationships fail i mean a successful relationship can last for 13 hours that can be great it could also last for 13 years and that can be great sometimes relationships end they end in sort of a disagreement in on the parts of everyone involved that it should end sometimes it ends in you know in unity that this is this relationship has run its course now and thank you for this time but sort of if you have this long-term relationship, perhaps you were married or anything else, if that relationship ends, it doesn't mean that this relationship necessarily was a failure, right? This, this, this relationship was doomed. It's just this relationship had its time in the sun and it was you know, happy and productive, hopefully, for you during its time. And I think people fear rejection or fear the ending of relationships mostly because they feel that they fail if they don't sort of if the relationship doesn't outlive one of the involved parties <laughs> it's a failure and i think that's a completely unrealistic sort of um, unrealistic expectation on life some relationships do last for life and you know that's good for those relationships but sort of it's, it's not to be expected from everything on the contrary evidence would show that this is not the case and if you let go of that fear I think it also will be easier to answer the original question. How do I know if a girl or boy likes me? Because if you let go of that fear, you're also going to be open to pick up an understanding on on the answer to the question without actually popping that question in that sense. Right. Next question. Do you have a favorite legacy deck from the past? I know at least one of us do. Christopher. So uh, blue-green survival painter would top and probably when ant was really good and played past in flames would top as well i think all those three were really bangers but you know now i'm i'm talking i'm talking about decks that have been banned 
I still play a lot of the decks that I have played for a long time and they are still bangers. But when it comes to from the past, as in, you know, past tense, these are not viable anymore. Those three are my picks. Yeah, and I can uh, sort of add to that. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Grixis Delver with Deathrite Shaman and not to forget Gitaxian Probe. And Gitaxian Probe was also super fun to play in the Epic Storm, so... Those are my picks. My answer here is a bit, bit of a cop out, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it anyway. I started playing Legacy right as Deathrite Shaman was released, and th- this is sort of not too far off from when Delver was was printed. It's about a year, I think, in between. And I will say any deck before that, because before that I didn't play Legacy, and then Legacy was this mysterious epic format played by men who <laughs> were older than I am and uh, I had no idea what was going on because at the time before Delver legacy decks looked super different mana value was way higher strategies were way different and I had no idea what was going on but I was in awe of uh, of l- was watching these guys at the LGS who would play their favorite format and I just felt drawn to it, but also like, how do I begin? And I, I so I did the did the sort of expected route from sort of standard to modern to commander to legacy. Like that, that's how I ended up here. And I've sold all my standard, modern, and commander cards a long time ago. <laughs> so uh, hopefully, I can have I can emulate some of that inspiration to my younger self if they see me at the LGS. I hope so at least. Next question, perhaps the trickiest one tonight. How would you design art for duress? Like, what would that look like with the uh, sort of context that the person who asked this question is really unhappy with any duress art currently out there? So what, how, what what's the art direction here for duress? Any thoughts? It's tricky. It would be easy if I got to do, you know, one of those cop-outs and say this is a Magic X insert title. Because there is one there is one scene that I think in a movie quite recently released, which I think would just make a really good duress art, uh, but, you know, colorized and stuff like that. And that's from Dune. Uh, the big, the big epic science fiction movie where the main character of uh, Timothy Chalamet has his hand in this box that's hurting, and the person is holding a really poisonous needle towards his neck. I think that feels like duress somewhat, and it's kind of like inspired. Like my favorite art is actually not the original because that doesn't really feel like duress if you think about what the word means and what you're doing with it. But I really like the. I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's M. 10 or m11 where there's, there's this elf elf and there's just like a lot of needles around them they feel like they're in a really tight spot so maybe that's that's the kind of thing that i would like like a person being threatened into being thrown into an iron maiden or something like that you know a, a threat so you give them something like uh, that dune suggestion that you have that's not entirely impossible in some supplemental uh, beyond the realm <laughs> set, right? It can happen. Commander Dune. Hell yeah. And uh, those uh, those people that live in the desert can be Hazazon right, from right. Legends. The sand, sand Make sand, sand warriors. I will start off by uh, disagreeing with the question asker. I really like some of the art for the rest. And the favorite is the from the 7th edition. It's white bordered though. 
So if you don't have a foil copy, you have to live with a white border on your in your legacy deck. Some people can't do that. But I think that card is really nice looking and it shows duress, I think. For me, I think I would go for the less painful route. Uh, even though I, I do agree that 7th edition has, among the existing ones, the best art for duress. But I would sort of do something where someone is under duress in more of not an office setting but a bureaucratic setting like it could be in a courtroom or it could be under interrogation or un- signing a contract against their best interest in order to to do something else so i'm thinking sort of somewhere there are stacks of papers and scrolls and there is this extremely more powerful person forcing this weak victim to under duress sign away either their soul or something else that's super spot on and i think that would go well but 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 the card actually does as well yeah, i would do something like that i like it sort of a demonic contract meets oisem bureaucrats i think that's where i'm at okay which is best in legacy the mill deck or the discard deck i think you can also say which is the best blue black deck the mill deck or the discard deck i think christopher should go first here does it have to be blue black because i gave my answer in question one i think painter is the (laughs) best (laughs) is better than any discard deck and it's a mill deck for sure yeah that's my answer i'm gonna go with mill it's always always the place to go i read the question as like a port of the modern mill deck that plays out like a burn deck that is using the deck and not the life total as uh, the resource that they are trying to deplete. And I think that that deck is just not playable in Legacy. So I will go with a discarded deck that at least hinders your opponent from playing magic rather than sort of giving them supplemental mana, which is what milling your opponent is actually doing. Do you think oops all mill would beat oops all discard? <laughs> <laughs> I think oops all mill win th- wins that one. Only one way to find out. All right, let's duel. I would say I think probably mill would be the better deck, even though I would like discard to be the better deck. Like what if A-Track was an actual thing in Legacy? Or what if sort of variants of Pox, whatever, whatever, were actually sort of s tier that would be fantastic but i think it's going to be the mill deck but there is a marriage between these two and they have been popping up quite a bit and it's those mono black helm leyline decks that's just packing a lot of discard and does play leyline and the void walker with helm there is something there so like why not both meme insert here (laughs) why not both indeed last question which is the card that you think has the most unseen potential in legacy and why is it carvex spite and for those listeners who on top of their heads are not familiar with carvex spite i'm gonna say to you this is an instant from visions for three black card oracle text reads as as an additional cost to cast this spell sacrifice all permanents you control and discard your hand target player loses five life arguably a really really poor card in any sort of setting where it's been legal so why has 
uh, worst unseen potential in this? I'm going to answer first because for me it's obviously my uh, Nickfit Rector decks. I, I play this and sacrifice all my Rectors and boom shakalak. I have all my enchantments and uh, Planeswalkers just ready to go. I'm going to get myself a playset right now. You could also just play that uh, elf that came in uh, Ixalan, I think. That's four mana. When it dies, you return all of your lands from your graveyard into play. So that just kind of counters the whole destroy all your lands thing. That's pretty strong. <laughs> what am I <laughs> going to do with my lands? Well, it's five damage upstairs. <laughs> Take it. Bird, bird Lose five life. Unpreventable even. <laughs> Besides Veil. <laughs> You know, you just shoop. don't curse like this on the podcast, Christopher. We have some standards. Fail of summer. I ask you, Robin, where's your head at? I have no idea about this card. I think that Christopher has some sort of idea how to play Garrick's Spite. All right. You know what you came for. A shitty deck. I haven't prepared a deck, but I have prepared a win con. So whoever sent this in, you're in for a treat. So here's the idea. You don't do anything for the first seven turns of the game. Maybe you ramp. Maybe you just play removal spells. Discard. discard. But then on turn seven... (laughs) Yeah, you can play discard. You can play the discard mill deck. And for just a lot of turns, you just sit there. You feel like a king. Nothing can stop you. Discard mill. Discard mill. And then when you have ensured that your opponent doesn't have any cards in hand... And you're at a healthy 20 still, because this is Legacy, turn 7. You just go and play Baron Glory, but with... Ba- I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down, don't worry. And with Baron Glory on the stack, you're gonna play Dark Ritual, and then Corvax Spite. Dome your opponent for 5, and sack your shit. So what Baron Glory is, is an enchantment for 4 white-white. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control no permanents other than Baron Glory and have no cards in hand, you win the game. Look at that. It combos. Combos with discard. <laughs> combos with everything. You don't have a hand, you don't have permanents, and this is on the stack, so you don't have to worry about that, baby. Stifle. Only problem is if they daze this when, you, when you've done this, uh, like when you've already resolved this. It's a bit of a feel bad. Yeah, it's a bit of a feel bad, but you know, sometimes you gotta go big or go home. So there you go. This is the secret sauce of Legacy that's missing. Corvax Spite. I must say Baron Glory is a very aptly named card. Yeah, has banger art. I think you can play one of Victor's favorite rectors to cheat Baron Glory into play as you sack your permanents, including the rector for Corvax Spite. Oh, that's true. That might be even easier. (laughs) Very easy. (laughs) Yeah, but like then you only need to have like an academy rector in play and then you resolve this. And you can do it in instant speed at the end of their turn after you veil. Oh, silenced. You're in white. Yeah, silence your upkeep in your end step. (laughs) Legacy is broken now. And that is all we have for this week. Thanks for all the great questions. We really enjoyed getting them from you. It makes us feel very special, truly. It was super nice to get these. And thank you very much for listening and interacting with us. If you hadn't, we would not have reached 60 episodes at all. This work pays nothing. It takes more hours than one could expect and is at the same time very rewarding only because the listeners like you or what say you guys, my dear co-hosts. In total agreement. Yeah, you definitely make it worth it. I'm a bit disappointed at Victor. He was like, it's episode 60, let's cut the cake. And I was like, come on, 60, (laughs) cut the deck. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's the perfect number <laughs> for a magic deck. And he's like, let's cut the cake. I've been sitting on this for one hour. Just I'm going to wait for the post-show bullshit talk. And I'm going to let Victor hear about it. But yeah, you guys make it worth it. Victor, get your act together. Well, <laughs> if you like us still after this roasting that I just got, do suggest to your next paper opponent to check out our podcast. That will help us find the right people. If you have feedback to give, ideas to present, you are super welcome to join our Discord server. You can find the link in the episode description to this episode. And in addition to Discord, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at SDHLM Legacy. The co-hosts are also all of us personally present on social media. Robin, where can our listeners go to find you? At Jackaboo on Twitter. And I'm at MonolithMTG on Twitter. And I'm also at Twitter under Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 60th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you so much, Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. Warm thanks to you for listening. Extra thanks to the great Frenes, as always, the writer of our theme music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. Until next time, if you live in Sweden and are allowed to plan for when to vote. <laughs>